spirituality for temporary pleasure, true virtue for hollow celebrity. We teach our children self-indulgence, yet stand mystified at the blood on their hands. We lust after material things, yet wonder why our souls are empty. We lament the walls that divide us, even as we segregate ourselves from one another. Revive us, O Lord. Your presence is our only hope. Impart to us your passion for good over evil. As we humble ourselves and seek your face, forgive us, O God, and heal us. Make us one, that America would be the land you envisioned from the beginning, a beacon of hope lifted to the world, a people free to serve you and one another in genuine love. In the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. Lord willing, following the elections of 2024, this national prayer of repentance, along with the millions of amens that have been attached to it, will be presented to all living U.S. presidents from 2001 to 2025. Um, If you want to sign this particular prayer, you can go to Pentecost Walk. It is up there, .org. Um, Yeah, by faith, it is up there, PentecostWalk.org. And you can learn a whole lot more about, about Pentecost Walk. The most common question I get asked whenever I'm home is, where have you been? Um... So I, I want to give you a little bit of a map that will show you where I've been. Um, we started in Minneapolis, and the yellow is where we've been. Um, so we walked about, I don't know, 15, no, it was a lot more than that. The entire walk is 20,000 miles plus um, as we connect every single U.S. state capital in an and this is the title of the walk, is called Unbroken because it is an unbroken line of prayer through every U.S. capital and most major cities as we take this prayer, as we pray for the church, as we pray for the nation, as we pray for whatever the Lord lays on our hearts as we're walking, praying, and seeing what what God would do. So um, this is actually from the website. It's totally cool. You can go there, and it's interactive, and there's little little tiny feet um, right by St. Louis. That's where we're at right now. So we're fixing to head out there again on Thursday and pick up the route and keep walking. So we're about 5,000 or so miles in with a whole lot more to go. Um, But when we're walking, we get to a lot of different groups and a lot of different people. We, we came to Spokane, Washington, and we, it was neat because there was a prayer meeting that, was, that we kind of were going to be a part of. And so we walked to this prayer meeting, and as we walked up there, kind of behind the scenes, you could see, here's a church group, and there's a church group, and there's a church group, and oh, you're a biker church, and there's another church group, all that kind of stuff. And, and after about an hour of spending time in, in prayer together and in the Word together and just hearing other pastors pray, this entire, it was just this big mixture, and at the end, it was everybody talking with everyone else, and it was like, that is what the body of Christ is meant to look like. It was amazing just to be a part of that. So sometimes we get those things. A lot of times we get to go with law enforcement. Um, When you're walking down the highway, you get stopped by a lot of law enforcement um, who make sure you're okay, but it's also really cool. I've had highway patrol officers come by and get out of their cars, and we pray together and pray for their family and offer you a bottle of water, and it's really, really neat. Um, This was right next to the border, I mean, yards away from the border with some of the sheriff who were there. Uh, We got to pray with a bunch of the border patrol agents along the border, and I'll just tell you this. 
hands down, and I don't want to offend anybody, but the Border Patrol are the most honorable law enforcement officials I have ever, ever met, ever. The men and women who serve there are incredible. They're amazing. So we get a lot of, of those kind of interactions as well. And when we're not walking, um, a lot of times we'll have meetings or, or things going, going on in Washington, D.C., um, which is neat because it's both sides of the aisle. So this is a good friend of ours. Her name is Kathy Rogers and, and Bill Johnson. Um, Kathy is from Spokane, Washington, and Bill Johnson is from Ohio. Uh, but when we were in D.C., we got to meet with these two congresspeople and pray with them, um, just work on some stuff kind of behind the scenes. Uh, Pastor Tom knows a ton of people on the Hill that God has just opened up doors of favor and relationship with them. So that was really neat to, to be there after we, we actually were at her church in Spokane and got to see her there as well. Um, and then on the other side of the aisle, we met with uh, Rep, uh, Congresswoman Val Demings, who is running for a U.S. Senate seat um, this November in Florida. Um, got to meet with her at the, at the Capitol and, and pray with her as well. And it's so awesome because it's not about a political affiliation. It's about the Savior. That's it. And that crosses party lines and every single line. It's, it's so neat to be united around that. So it was, it's been really, really cool. Sometimes when we walk, we get joined by other people. So this was a, a picture of a team in Texas that joined us to help kind of cover some area. Um, this was on a, a separate walk, but you get other churches that come out, people who will want to walk with you. That tends to slow you down, but it's still cool. Um, we got to do a lot of that. And then a lot of times, honestly, it's just these three guys. Um, there's Kevin. He shares my last name, but we can't find out how we're related yet. So, um, and then myself and then Pastor Tom who oversees Pentecost Walk. And, and a lot of times it's just the three of us guys uh, traversing the country, walking and praying. Um, but today... I am here, and I am glad to be home, and my legs are very thankful. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, if you've got a digital Bible and you want to follow along, I'm reading out the New American this morning. Um, and as you get there, you'll see the, you'll probably have a little title or a heading on your thing, and it, it'll be like David and Goliath. And oh, seriously? We're seriously going to do the Bible, the Sunday school thing with David and Goliath, to which my answer is... Yes, we're seriously going to do the Bible school thing with David and Goliath. Are you ready? Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sokah and Azekah in Aphes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So the scene is being set here that there are these two hills and there are these two armies. We've got the good guys and we've got the bad guys. Okay, it's, not, it's real clear there's a valley in between them. There's this stark contrast of the vision and the distinction that's being made. We've got the good stuff, we've got the bad stuff. They're on these separate hills and they're getting ready to fight. All right, now, verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. Yes, that is over nine feet tall. Big dude. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That is over 125 pounds. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. 15 pounds. 
his shield carrier also walked before him. Nine feet tall, wearing 125 pounds just, just right here of armor. Then more armor down here and bronze javelin slung onto his back. A 15 pound, just the spear tip weighs 15 pounds. This dude is big. He is overpowering, and on top of all the, the muscle and the stuff and the things that he has, he's got a guy carrying a full body shield in front of him. There is no weakness in this giant of a man. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here's Goliath, just this defiant, arrogant, in your face, ungodly, and honestly, a little bit scary kind of dude. All right? And he is just spewing out these lies. Just, you can hear him just coming out of his mouth, these, these insults and this hatred and this disdain and this, this mocking towards his enemies. It's like he, he relishes in his cursing. He's, he has this sick, twisted joy in just disparaging everyone else. It's pure hate. That's what he's filled with. Okay, scene change, happy music, birds, you know, harps in the background, that kind of thing. Verse 12, now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Man, talk about a contrast between this battlefield of these two massive armies and the sweet rolling hills of Bethlehem and little sweet David's family. And then we have this huge giant who is out here just spewing this stuff, and we have the youngest, sweetest boy of eight who tends the flocks before his father. And then we have this, this king, King Saul, who is, who is leading his army into battle, contrasted with old man Jesse and his boys back home. And it's really set up that we, ha we have a completely different atmosphere on the battlefield than we have over here in Bethlehem. They're totally different. Now we're going to swap, swap back to the battlefield in verse 16. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Morning and evening, day after day after day after day. Every morning, Goliath comes out. Oh, crud, here's Goliath again. Boasting and bragging and defying the armies. First thing when you wake up in the morning, here's Goliath. And then at night, right before you go to bed, are you kidding me? Give me nightmares. Here's Goliath spewing in hatred. It's nonstop. It's constant. There's this relentless bombardment over and over and over and over. Every day, this assault against God's people. Okay, now back to David. Verse 17. Then Jesse said to David his son, 
Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David's been given a mission by his dad. He says, I want you to take some bread for your brothers. I want you to take some, some cheese for their commander. Now, this is not an extraordinary task. This is not a great exploit that he's being called to do. Honestly, it's a little bit mundane. He's running errands. That's essentially what he's doing. But it's important to Jesse because Jesse cares about his kids. He wants to know how his sons are doing. So what's a good youngest son going to do? Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words. And David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. So David's response to the mission that his dad gave him, this somewhat mundane, menial task of just going and checking on his brothers and taking some stuff, David hurries, gets up early in the morning to do it. He makes sure that all his chores are done. He made his bed, brushed his teeth. He made sure that his flock was taken care of, that the keeper was there. And he grabs the stuff and he heads off to do exactly what his, what his dad wanted. All the responsibilities are covered. I'm going to do my mission. And he, re he reaches the scene of battle, and he races to find his brothers, because that's what he's supposed to be doing, and he arrives at exactly this particular moment, right as the armies are coming, and right as Goliath is speaking. At that very moment, David arrives on the scene and hears what this giant is saying. Man, the Bible is so full of coincidences. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Verse 25, the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should taunt the armies of the living God. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? And he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. David arrives right when Goliath makes his boast. And David's response is, that guy said, what? Did, am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? He did not just, tell me he did not just say that. Did anyone else hear what he just said? David's response is, that giant said, What? Now, verse 31 says, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. 
David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then David, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. This is a brave kid. This kid's pretty impressive. And Saul's like, I mean, it's, he's impressive enough that the king is like, go for it, man. Go, take him on. So here we go. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head. And he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand. And chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. Goliath, nine foot plus of just pure war-bred muscle, Wearing 125 pounds worth of bronze armor. His armor weighed more than David did at this point. And he's got this shield bearer in front of him with this full body shield. He's got this massive 15 pound head on his spear and a javelin and a sword hanging. He's got all this stuff. And you got David with the pocket full of rocks. Are you ready? We're going to cue the epic battle music. You ready? The crescendo is building. It's all getting big. And then the things are going in the background. Okay, here we go. Verse 42. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Yeah, big surprise. For he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. I mean, come on, you got to give speeches before you have a big battle, right? If you're going to have the music building up and the whole thing going and the boom, boom on both sides, you got to give the big speech right before stuff starts. But the battle is clear. This is not about whose army is stronger. And it's not about which warrior is more skilled or who's mightier. It's not about which people group is better. Goliath argues all of those things. But David sees it differently. David understands this is an attack against God. 
This is, what, this is a spiritual battle. This has got nothing to do with what everybody else is seeing. And now you see where David's faith comes from. Because, I mean, come on. When you fight against God, you always lose. I mean, it's just a reality. We can try whatever we want to do. We're going to lose if it's us versus God. The battle's over before it begins. David walks into this like, oh, you're fighting God. Well, this one's already done. And it's not because David is a better warrior. It's not because he has more skill. It's not because he knows, he knows stuff more. Oh, I have a lion and a bear. And you're just going to be like, it's because David sees what others fail to recognize. Yes. Goliath thinks he's fighting an army. He thinks he's fighting against one other person. He thinks this is something that's a, it's a man-made struggle, a fighting something physical going on here. But he's not. He may not realize it, but he is fighting against the Lord. Verse 48, then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Boom! And the dust cloud goes. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay all along the way to Shearim, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Oh, you got a slingshot with this laser accuracy, boom, and it sinks into his forehead. I love that. And it Bam! And he hits the ground. And he grabs his sword and he chops off his head. And you got all the Philistines like, ah! And they take off and the Israelites are like, Rah! And they go and, they, and there's just bodies everywhere. They're all over the road and they're filling the valley. And then they finish the fight and they're like, Rah! And they take the, the whole camp and they get all the stuff. And they come and David's like, Rah! Oh, the Bible's awesome. Now, we're going to rewind just a little bit. Just go back just a few steps. Verse 55. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. Is this kid for real? I mean, like, does he come from noble stock? Is he like from a race of warriors or something that I don't know about? Is his family noble? Should I, should I, be, should I know who... Like he's famous or something, or wh where's his dad? Is, it, is he a wealthy family? I mean, would this make a good son-in-law kind of thing? Or what? I mean, just find out a little bit more about this kid. Verse 57, so when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Still holding the dripping, severed head of the giant, he responds, I'm Jesse's kid from Bethlehem. <laughs> oh, come on. That's the coolest thing ever. Oh. Okay, so now we're going to get to the main point. Was that the longest introduction you've ever heard? There, 
There is a war raging right now for the heart and soul of our nation. And the battle lines are clearly drawn. There is a clear distinction that this battle is against right versus wrong. It is righteousness versus wickedness. It is godliness versus godlessness. Pick any topic you want. Any single one. Gender identity. Does God create male and female or is that up to us? Abortion. Does every life bear the image of its creator or only the ones that we deem are worthy of survival? Homosexuality. Is God's word clear or does he need an update for today's society? Marriage. Is it a covenant before God or is it a contract that we can renegotiate whenever we feel like? Sexual promiscuity. Is it a bondage to sin or is it the pinnacle of our freedom? Fiscal responsibility, drug use, social justice, politics, education, immigration. Pick any topic you want. The battle is clear. There is a hill of repentance that we can climb up to and bow before the cross and submit ourselves to God. Or we can align ourselves on this hill and exalt ourselves and our own wisdom and our own solutions above God's word. But that is the battle set before us. And it is clear. And arrayed against us in this struggle is this seemingly overwhelming opponent who doesn't seem to have any weakness about him. There's this giant government and giant corporations. There's giant social media, giant propaganda, giant bureaucracy, giant resources, these giant voices. And there's no aspect of our culture that isn't this malevolent influence that has penetrated Because sin is everywhere pervasive. And it doesn't matter who gets elected or what party's in power because the corruption still keeps going on. And it doesn't matter what scandal gets revealed because accountability is just scoffed at. And it doesn't matter how much hypocrisy is exposed because the lies just keep on repeating themselves. Power is abused and justice is perverted. Sin is tolerated and then it's encouraged and then it's celebrated. And the enemy then struts out onto social media and he mocks God and he mocks God's word. And he defies God in our entertainment. And he dares anyone to challenge his sick and twisted perversion of gender and sexuality and equality. And he says, go ahead and speak up and I'll cancel you. Just go ahead and disagree with me because I will straight shame you to your face. So just sit there and I'll ignore you. And people cower in response and he just thrives on that fear. And now the Lord focuses the scene on his church. His anointed people. And our peaceful Sunday morning routines, they are a stark contrast to the raging cultural battlefield that seems far, far away. And safe within the walls of our tradition, we faithfully do as we have always done, shepherding and worshiping and praying and serving, ministering to the Lord, ministering to one another. But back on the battlefield of America's culture, this defiant enemy repeats His threats and his mockery and his taunting and his intimidation day after day after day. He persists with it. He is relentless 
with it. And every time he's met with cowardice and humiliation and helplessness and, and passiveness and fear. Because no one knows what to do. No one knows how to stop him. Nobody seems to be beyond his reach. He knows no boundaries in his evil. Nothing seems to work against him. And nobody has any answers. People know it's not right. They know, man, this just isn't right. This is, this is not our nation. We're being torn apart because of this, but they just don't know what to do. They're told that it's a political issue. And so they hope that, well, well maybe the next election will change things. And they're told that it's a social justice issue. Okay, well, maybe the next Supreme Court decision will, will make things right again. Or they're told that it's a racial issue. Well, maybe, maybe our schools will train kids properly in that. They're told that it's an economic issue. Well, maybe society will shift in such a way that we'll regain the prosperity and the freedoms that, are, that our forefathers envisioned for us. It is a sin issue, plain and simple. And it's hard for people to have hope when every single day, every morning, every night, over and over and over again, there's this same unchanging, undeterred mocking and taunting and threatening and lying and shaming. And against that backdrop, God sends his church on a mission to do good, to bless others, to care for family, to meet one another's needs. He sends us with a, a basket of bread and cheese with specific instructions to make sure others are okay. And we love our Father. And we want to please him. So we humbly obey. And it may not be glamorous. And it may not get a lot of attention, but we know it's important to our father because he cares about his kids. And so we get up early in the morning, we, we shoulder these responsibilities that are given to us. We make sure that whether we're at, at home or at work or at school or at church, that we are being faithful Christians and faithful servants and faithful stewards and faithful followers of Jesus. Because after all, we're eager to follow him. We want to please him. We're eager to worship him and to, and to demonstrate our love for him. So we faithfully serve every Sunday morning. We read our Bibles every day. And we tithe regularly. And we update our social media profiles with encouraging verses and, and inspiring scriptures. And we pray before each meal and we speak kindly to our neighbors. And we strive to live peacefully with all men. And we do it sincerely. There's nothing hypocritical about it. There's nothing shallow. There's nothing done only for show. It's not done for recognition. It's genuine. It's our basket full of bread and cheese. And we distribute the contents of that faithfully, with purpose, and with care. It's our responsibility, perhaps even our calling. And we find fulfillment in our basket that we've been entrusted to carry. Our hearts are, are filled with joy as we walk in this humble obedience to the Father's instructions with our baskets. And then one day, all of a sudden our eyes see something that is unexpected. And our ears hear something that, that is unexplainable. The giant said, what? A Supreme Court justice can't define what a woman is? What? Advertising the murder of babies is a way for employers to recruit new employees? What? 
Medical doctors are advocating for the chemical castration of children. What? Pedophiles are now referred to as minor attracted persons. What? The giant said, well, you did not just say that. And sure, we knew that bad stuff is out there. But now it's right in front of our face. It's right here. It's all throughout our culture. It's everywhere. It's like this infectious disease that is poisoning American society. Wait, but, th but that's not the mission, right? I mean, that, that's not my basket. There's separation of church and state, right? We respect our authority and, and honor those who are in charge, right? This is where we are today, church. God is calling his church to put down the basket and to pick up some stones. He is calling his people to sprint into a fight and not just walk back home. He's calling us to take whatever he has given us and however he has gifted us and engage in the battle. Because church, our destiny is not found within the four walls of this building. Our destiny is not found inside the picnic baskets of bread and cheese. Our destiny isn't found on a calendar that is filled with church events. Our destiny is this fight today right in front of us. Our destiny is to engage in battle right now for our nation, for our families, for our city, for our neighborhoods and communities, for our kids. Because if we stand idly by and refuse to speak out and refuse to get involved, if we remain silent against a wicked and perverse culture and instead content ourselves with dutifully delivering our baskets of bread and cheese rather than engaging in the battle for the soul of our nation, then our children will look back one day and they will lament that the freedoms we now enjoy are denied to them. Yes. Ruled by a godless government and oppressed by a sinful society, they will wonder, how did it all happen? When did it all change? And they'll ask us, why didn't you do something? And then in response, we'll turn to God and say, why didn't you do something while we were faithful with our baskets? And the Lord will say to us, you considered the battle before you to be a distraction from your faith rather than the focus of your fight. This is the moment before us, church. We've arrived on the scene, honestly, a little bit unexpectedly. But we're here nonetheless. And we cannot deny the day or the hour that has been thrust upon us. We are the inheritors of this moment in history. Arriving precisely at this time to witness and to hear exactly what we are witnessing and hearing. This intentional dismantling of our society and the destruction of our nation. The battle is here and it is right before us. So put down the basket and fight Take the gospel. Take the gospel and run for public office. Take the gospel and vote for righteous leaders. Take the gospel and visit your school boards to hold them accountable. Take the gospel and serve your community. Take the gospel and start a business. 
Take the gospel and invest your money ethically. Take the gospel and serve widows and orphans. Take the gospel and love scared soon-to-be moms. Take the gospel and speak the truth out loud with your mouth publicly. About what? About everything. Take the gospel and declare that male and female are God's ideas and not our own. Take the gospel and call sin, sin. It's not a choice. It's not a preference. It's not some kind of identity. It is sin. And all of it can be forgiven. Take the gospel and expose corruption. Expose it. Take the gospel and refute the lies that we hear every day in the media and with politicians and celebrities and people that we follow online and our friends and athletes. Take the gospel and engage yourself in the battle. Put down the basket and fight. Because no politician and no political party is going to save our democracy. There's no foreign policy or border policy or fiscal policy or public policy that's going to fix what's broken. There's no new law that's going to be passed or an old law that's going to be repealed that puts everything right again. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of manpower. There's no amount of mandates that's going to fix what's not working about America. Jesus is the only answer. He is the only answer. He is the only solution, and he is always the solution. Only Jesus can change hearts. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus can give hope, because only Jesus has the power to turn an entire nation back to God. Only Jesus. So get Jesus out of the picnic basket and into the fight. Because at the end of the day... I don't want to stand before God. I don't want to come back home and tell him, well, Dad, I delivered all the bread. I want to stand before my king, holding the blood-soaked, dripping head of my enemy. I want to say, I know it's not my basket, Lord. I know. But I saw this battle, and I couldn't do nothing. And I know it's making a mess all over the floor of the church this morning. And I know that it really interferes with my family life. And man, God, it's, it consumes a lot of my time. And I'm not even sure I'm the right guy for the job. But Lord, I saw this battle. And I heard these lies. And I saw this defiance. And I felt people's fear. And I... I couldn't do nothing. In that moment, my father is not going to ask me about my basket. He's not going to ask how, how evenly I distributed all the bread. Or did I properly honor the commanders? Or did I tidy it up so it's ready for next time? He's going to say to me what he's saying to all of us right now. That's why I sent you in the first place. And you may think, man, that sounds great and that's super inspiring. Or you may be like totally offended right now. <laughs> but where do you start? How do you take a first step on that one? Well, I'm going to help you. All right? And we're going to do it together. And we're going to start off super easy and super simple. You don't even have to leave the room. 
I mean, come on. Are you ready? I'm going to take my basket, my basket. I'm going to go first. I'm going to set it down. I don't know about you, but inside my basket, there's a cute little altar call that you're supposed to say at the end of a sermon to make sure everybody knows Jesus. And I've done a ton of those. And it's a regular thing. And it's familiar and it's comfortable. And honestly, it's kind of fun. But I'm going to put that down. Because the moment that I've been given right now is an opportunity I'm not going to waste. So I'm going to risk. I'm going to do something uncomfortable and unfamiliar because I see what's in front of me. I'm going to have you do the altar call. You just found your basket. Good job. Awesome. There it is. Come to church, sit in church, be in church, worship, hear a sermon, go home for lunch, but not at Chick-fil-A. I got to take this, and right now, just go ahead and set it down, church. Set it right there, right there. You can push it under the pew in front of you if you want to. If it gets it out of sight and that's better, go for it. But set it down right there. It's not going far away. You're not going to set it on fire and dance around the flames. That's not what we're doing. It's just going to set down right here. And there might be a little bit of risk involved, and it might be a little bit unfamiliar, but we're going to engage with the moment that we've been given. There are people sitting right next to you, right around you, behind you, in front of you, across from the aisle from you. Are they saved? Well, if you're married to them, I hope you know that question, the answer to that one. But maybe you're not married to them. Maybe they're a perfect stranger. Well, how, how do you know they're saved? Because they're at church? Because they're, they're dressed right? Well, how are you going to find out if they're saved? Oh, like talk to them? In, in church? Like during church? About Jesus? Do we... Do we, God, whoa, 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 the basket's on the floor, okay? Just leave it there. Just leave it there. It's okay. We're in a safe place. Nate, you can come up, man. We're going to even have Nate up here, and he's going to play some background music because that makes it easier, all right? It's not going to be total silence in here. It's all good. But how do you find out about where that person's at? If Jesus said to go and make disciples, well, it's going to require that you find out where they're at. Do they know the Lord? Well, then encourage them in their faith. Because that's helping to make a disciple. Is there a need? Well, then meet the need. Because that's what a disciple does. Are they lost? Well, then you show them the way home. And make disciples. Pray with them. Minister to them. Right now. In church. Okay? This is real simple. This is real easy. It's a first easy step for us. But my basket's down here. And I'm not giving an altar call. You are. So we're going to take 60 seconds. That's all. Just a little bit of time. Find somebody next to you and find out where they are with the Lord. And then you minister to them. Go ahead, church. You're doing good. You're doing good.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you today. Thank you today. Thank you today. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Lord, today. Thank you, Lord, today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the word that was shared today. Father, we thank you for the word that was shared today, and we thank you, Lord, for how it opens up our eyes and opens up our our mind to see the truth today of how you see things. And we say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. Your kingdom come and your will be done in our nation. If you're finished with praying with someone right now, would you just pray with me? Your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, in my city. With the laws, with the government, with the school system. Your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray. With decisions that are made for our government and our nation. And Father, we as a nation come and repent and turn our minds and our eyes toward you and toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you today. Praise you today. Thank you today. Thank you today. I don't want to interrupt anyone, but I want to say something to you before we, I dismiss you today. First of all, I want to say, Cliff, thank you for...
giving that word this morning. Do you know, uh, let me just share something with you from my heart today. Um, our first response to things shouldn't be whether we're offended or somebody's offended or what do you think or what would they think or how does that make someone feel? Do you know social media and social interaction has trained us so much to where our first and primary filter that we put on things. You know how they have to take a picture and they say unfiltered. Our first and primary filter on things is what does everybody think about it? When our first and primary filter should be what does God think? But it's not with so many people. Our first filter shouldn't be our political party, the color of our skin, the, our socioeconomic status, our, our, uh, our feelings about this or our thoughts about this. And in fact, I think as a society, we almost look for divisions. We almost look for, what, what side do you stand on? We're almost looking for division. To, because division in some ways brings us identity. It brings us, who do you identify with? We talk about identity. We, you know, you mentioned gender identity and things. Let me tell you, political identity. Um, um, with everything, there's, in fact, there's a subject that's, you know, that's shared and you go, where, which side do you stand on? Listen, when, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And no, let me, let me just say, listen, our identity needs to be first and foremost in Jesus. So when people say, where do you stand? <laughs> the only place I can stand. That's with the Lord. Where are you? What party do you sit on? I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, he said, if I seek to please men, then I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. If I seek to please, listen, our decision shouldn't be what other people think about you or about where you fit and where you belong. Our, our primary thing should be Jesus, God, what pleases you? And I think it simplifies things too. Because when we get into where you stand on all those things, it's like, I don't really understand. So you could either stand on a side or you're just apathetic to it. You're just like, I don't really care. No, listen, we need to come and say, you know, how do I vote? My family's always voted this way. How do I? No, listen, you find out as best as you know, as best as you know, you find out what God's word says about something. And as best as you know, you would vote along with those who would believe what the word of God says on those. That's what you would do. You did the best you, what if I make a mistake? Then you make a mistake. But continue to study and learn and, and, and apply. Don't vote just because your neighbor next door to you or your family member, or we've always done it this way. Um, 
And by the way, in the book of Romans, people say, well, I don't even vote because someone said, I voted for Kanye West this, this last time because I don't really know who to vote for. I know he wasn't going to win, you know. But you know, the Bible says the reason why we vote is uh, one, one of the scriptures on it is it says, and I know we're not in voting time right now, but remember this for the future. You may never come back here today, but uh, after today, but just tuck, tuck this in your hat and listen to, uh, in the book of Romans, right at the end, it says those who do those things are in uh, worthy of judgment. You say, judgment? We're in the land of grace. No, Romans was written to the church, okay? He says, was worthy of judgment. He said, not only those who do those things, but those who approve of those things. Approve of those things is those who vote for those things. So he said, make sure not only to not do them, but make sure you don't approve things that are wrong. Why? You'll be judged for it. They're, they're, I mean, I'm just, that's the Bible, however you want to take that. Okay, but... um. I, I'm sitting here as, and I'm receiving just like you're receiving with the word today. And, I'm, and I, I just stopped and made that commitment. And I want to make that. I want to ask you to make this commitment. Lord, now let me tell you what it is first. Don't just repeat it. <laughs> I want you to ask, I want you to make this commitment. Lord, I want my life, not, not only today, not this year, but forever. You may be a student in school. I remember being taught all kind of things in school, and my professor is the smartest person in the world or the biggest idiot in the world, depending on how I'd see it. But they're very educated, nevertheless. But you may be around people who are very educated, books that are very, very educated. But listen, we need to make a decision. I want us to do that today. Just say, Lord, I want to care more about what you think than what anybody else thinks. Can we just stop and do that today? Come on, say, Lord, I want to care about what you think. And when I hear information and when I'm asked to get on a dividing line or step, help me to stand up for righteousness, justice, not social justice, biblical justice. The Bible says that righteous, by righteousness and justice is a throne established, is is a kingdom established, is a nation established by righteousness and justice, which means if we have the opportunity to stand up for righteousness and justice in a moment of time and we don't do it, we're, we're somehow allowing the throne to be of God, the blessing of God, the hand of the Lord upon our nation to come down. And let me tell you one more thing. Um, most people would think, well, I can't do anything about it. I'm not a I'm not a leader. No, leader, John Maxwell describes leadership as influence. Leadership is influence. Every one of you in here today are a leader. Every one of you in here today have influence somewhere. And where God's given you influence, God's given you responsibility. So whatever sphere of influence he's given you, whether small or great, use it to please the Lord. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that we would stand up for righteousness and really follow the Holy Spirit. David was sent on this mission by his father to this certain place, and then you led him by your spirit to knock out this giant. We pray that you'd lead us, even in, we may have other plans, but lead us, put us around situations, Lord, where we can have a voice and we can speak out and we can have the stones to do it. <laughs> In Jesus' name.
Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Thank you.